Reporting is eligible is proudly supported by Appleton Coffee Company. If you go to appletoncoffee.com and use code RAE at checkout, you will save 15% this year. Again, that's appletoncoffee.com. Use code RAE at checkout to save 15%. Everybody. Welcome to Reporting as Eligible. Uh, I'm Paul Noonan. And before we get down to business, uh, really quick, uh, we do giveaways once in a while on our Patreon and our wonderful sponsor, Appleton Coffee, sent me coffee to give away. So um, uh, any any patron, new or old, on November 1st, uh, I will send you a bag or two of coffee if I draw your name in a random uh, random drawing. Um, uh, you can sign up for the patron, Patreon if you want at patreon.com slash tailgate, You get a bunch of other stuff too, which you've all heard me talk about ad nauseum, so I'm not going to do it now. But uh, uh, thanks to you guys for sending us that stuff. It's always good to see. We also have merch there. We have t-shirts. They're cool. We have hoodies. They're even cooler. Go check it out. Um, but uh, now on to, on to football because, I mean, uh, who, who could really wait to talk about the Packers and Commanders game, which was such a wonderful experience for everybody. So first and foremost, as usual, joining us in Urban Wauwatosa to recap this crap is... Hey, it's J.R. Radcliffe, trending sports reporter for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. I'm sad, not just because the Packers are trash, but certainly that contributes. <laughs> but uh, the uh, as I'm sure people who listen to the show understand, baseball is my first love, and there is no baseball for a five-day window here. Yes. And... Uh, so we're recording on a Tuesday. I'm in a desert where there is no football. There's no baseball. I am watching the Pelicans and the Mavericks. It's a very competitive game. I have nothing against it. These are <laughs> I do not care about West Coast, you know, Western Conference basketball. But here I am watching it because I not only do I not have the sports that I want, but I also read Tyler Brooks' piece over at Acme Packing Company. And I am really, for the first time, it's dawning on me that the Packers are not just going to be bad the rest of this year, but we are facing another little bit of a desert where it's going to be like three years, right? Like that's, that, that's, that's starting to sink in for me that there is, we are on the precipice of something very, very bleak. So I'm over here being very, very sad. All right. If only we had Tyler here to talk about it. Um, and also joining us to help analyze the game we have. Hey, it's Tyler Brook, uh, Acme packing company, meme weaver. Wait, that's, <laughs> that's not right. <laughs> oh, no. They are, but you can cut. Wait. Yeah. Yep. Hold on. It is. Uh, it is Acme Packing Company writer and high school coach and uh, Brooke wrote a book, as Jr. likes to say. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it would catch on. Yeah, it's um, catchy. I like it. It is catchy. Matt's making cheese. If anybody wants to know, um, <laughs> sometimes Matt makes cheese in the middle of a field somewhere and doesn't have internet, and that's one of these weeks. <laughs> All right. Um, the this game. So last week was pretty depressing. Like that was pretty rough. That I think last week was sort of the. They might be bad game. I don't. This one was worse. I think um, the the Jets may be able to do a couple things that are like okay. Uh, th- although most of their good players went on IR this week, so now they suck again. But like they were okay. Washington's bad. Washington sucks. Um, they're not good. They do have a couple good players on defense, but like you you shouldn't lose this game. Like this isn't just the Packers might be below average or struggling or this is like. They might be bad, like out, like bad, bad, not like lions, bad, um, not great, but not looking good. Um, so 
I think we, we'll go through some of what they struggled with in this game, but it was kind of everything. And I think that's actually been a problem today on the internet because uh, people like to blame teams for they like to blame like one or two things or three things as what's wrong with the team but there's like 10 things wrong with the Packers and there was like 15 things wrong with this game because there were bad penalties and bad luck too um so Tyler you wrote about Aaron uh today and how Aaron is a big problem um in terms of both play and his contract and being a dingus um so why don't we start with Aaron there were a lot of drops there were a lot of problems in this game but um do you think what do you think he like where'd you rank Aaron as a problem in the commanders game? I don't know, man. His coach said he had he had <laughs> the best game all season, so we can't blame him at all. So it's that, totally, totally scot free. That interview was weird. Um, and especially the the uh, the most mental mistakes we made last year in a game was like seven. That's such a weird sentence. It's uh, he's a he's he continues to be a weird person. I uh, Aaron just drives me insane. I, <laughs> but you're right. It's hard to tell because like the receivers drop like eight balls, uh, which I know because you put them all together in a clip. Um, <laughs> but I still think he was bad. Like he was still inaccurate in all of the ways he has often been inaccurate. Right. This is still a bad Aaron Rodgers game, even though he has excuses built in. So if it, it felt like something that we I think has been brought up in previous seasons. Um, is that for the longest time he's been able to get away with bad throwing mechanics, right? Just because he's so gifted. But as he's declining and his legs are giving out, you know, it talks a little about the piece. And something you've mentioned before is the sharp decline in rushing attempts. Yep. Um, he just doesn't have the arm strength or the legs to just get away with throwing off platform. Um, and now you're starting to see it cost him, whether it is a deep ball or just I mean, that one to Dobbs that he just underthrew at his feet, uh, clean pocket and everything. He double clutches it and then just tries to sail in. Just you're not seeing the ball placement that you used to from the guy. Yeah. It always used to put it right in stride, right on everybody's numbers. And I feel like Dobbs had a bad game. Don't, don't get me wrong. Terrible had a, game. Had a bad ga- game or two in a row now. But uh, he also caught a lot of flack for some some garbage throws in his vicinity too. Like that play, I think is a drop because I think an NFL receiver should catch that ball. But it's also like it's a different level of drop because that's yes. an easier. I mean, that's a harder catch than it should be. With any like any average quarterback's going to put that right on him. It's a it, it's not great to see. It's it's bad. It's- uh, not even the, I mean, it's the, the short, it's the throw to Aaron Jones that he has to make a leaping catch for, you know, just like two yards away in the flat and he picks up a bunch of yards, but like, that's a hospital ball. If there's anybody on him, you know, it's the, the really low ball to Robert Tanyan or to Amari Rogers, where they're like right at the, the, the yard marker. Like some of these are caught, but every single throw seems like it's an adventure. There isn't a single comfortable looking throw even when protection is good and i think we agree that the protection was much better in this game they made some changes to the line and it seems like those i wouldn't say they just like flat out worked out but they definitely were better and he it's just nothing 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 is easy nothing is in control and he'll still come out and uncork like one a game one of those beautiful vintage <laughs> aaron Rodgers passes like the pass to aaron jones is yeah. for the touchdown oh, no. it's incredible it was beautiful yeah. it's truly special so you know it's still in there. It's a little like Christian Yelich. You know, you see those flashes, like you know it's still in there. But there's just too much routine, you know, over and over and over again. And I think the bigger problem for me is, dude, I, it wasn't one of Aaron Rodgers' better games. Yeah, it was. 
but he's talking like somebody who is not at all the problem. He's talking like somebody, you know, on the Pat McAfee show talking about time to reduce reps for guys who aren't it, you know, like (laughs) he's talking like somebody who truly doesn't appreciate his role. Say guys, I suck now. Um, He's certainly not going to say that, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like he understands his role in this. And that's, that's going to make it a lot harder for them to overcome what's, what's going on with this team. Yeah. You know, what really bugs me about that specifically is like, if you are like in a business or just a job where you have like underlings, direct reports, or just teammates that you work with all the time and they go out there and they're struggling with stuff and you're like in charge of a project. What most people do is like help them and, um, you know, help to fix their issues and work with them, even if you're not their boss. Like if if your success is dependent on what they do, you do that. And just going back to like the Vikings game and the first bomb to Christian Watson, like he drops the ball and Rodgers is just like, oh, "Well, see, told you that guy sucks. Not throwing to him anymore." And that seems to happen all the time. There's no, there's no like, um, you know, getting out there and just like rep after rep after rep with these guys. It, it just seems like he is like putting it on the coaching staff to improve them. And then he shows up on Sunday and if they still suck, it's like, all right, uh, 10 more balls to Lazard and I'll hit Tiny a bunch of times. The the other part of this, that it, it's half the offense that we're not even talking about right now, but you and I discussed it all day today. You wrote something that I mentioned it in mine is the rush running game. Yeah. And like he has running the ball because of what he likes to call these run solutions. Run solutions. Yeah when you become so predictable of when you're going to pass it and when you're going to hand the ball off, I get it's a numbers game. And like, if you're, if you're facing an eight man box, you want to pass it, but defensive coordinators are catching on. They want to do this and they're going to play into that and just dictate what you're going to do. Yeah. That's not what, how you want to operate in offense. Yeah. He, he, uh, he is getting uh, that piece. I wrote is called Aaron Rodgers is getting played like a fiddle and it, it's, uh, the RPO is so heavy and those run options are so heavy um, run solutions that the, the defense can just basically force him to call what they want and force him out of uh, what would be a smart play because he'll, he'll, he'll always make the quote unquote right play all the time. But it's just sometimes you got to run the ball. Um, so sometimes even if the box is stacked, you just have to run the ball. Um, it, it's, it, it's very predictable and, it's always a short pass. Um, he has like no medium passing at all, except for his dumb hero balls. Uh, and I, I do feel like every pass they throw, um, it's just awful enough that there's just a defender there. By the time the guy corrals it, um, it's ugly to watch. It's it's he throws it. Aaron Jones makes an acrobatic catch and then gets drilled by a linebacker. Uh, when he's when, also he's going sideways still. Um, I watched like some 49er games today because. Uh, I was like, okay, this is supposed to be like what the 49ers do, at least a little bit. And when I, I feel like when I watch the 49ers, they bring out their big personnel and they throw passes, usually with guys in motion, which Aaron doesn't like. And the guys catch it usually either going forward or the pass gets there quick. And it's like Kyle Juszczyk has five yards to just gear up and power for an extra three on the back end. And it's Garoppolo throwing, and he's, he's better at Aaron Rodgers at that, like at, at hitting a guy – um, in the timing of the pattern where he has some potential to be going forward when he catches the ball. And the Packers just never do that. Everybody's facing backwards or going out of bounds. It's it's just bizarre. It's, uh, I don't know. It's it's I hate watching them. It's annoying. I feel like in past years of uh, reporting is eligible, maybe anecdotally, 
we we would talk we would preview the game we would talk about what we think is going to happen and inevitably something unusual would happen and we'd we'd look stupid probably thank you for sticking with us through the years yeah. where we looked stupid Appreciate and that. didn't have an idea what was going to happen this year i don't feel that i feel like every single way every single week it's like well aaron is doing this and that's he's letting the defense talk him into what to do and here's a way that they could probably counter that but they haven't been willing to do that and that exact same thing happens every that's definitely three weeks in a row where it's like concerns and then the game plays out it's like oh yep it's exactly what we thought would happen yep what you thought would happen so that's again as you said this last week we, we're not we shouldn't be you know i'm not even putting myself in this bucket but people people <laughs> on podcasts should not be smarter than the front office of the green bay packers one of the most storied franchises in the nfl they should be able to see this themselves adjust to it fix it they have a quarterback who's a you know ostensibly one of the best ever to do this and it's not happening well, according to Bill Huber, no <laughs> podcasters or bloggers know anything about football. You will get those people on the beat who uh, <laughs> unfortunately rose up from similar, you know, I, I don't know, humble humble beginnings is the wrong way to put it. It's, it's maybe a little insulting. I don't want to put it that way. But like, you know, there, there are some people who forget that yep. uh, that there are a lot of people who can have good opinions, especially in this age. I mean, the video quality is so good. The technology is so good. People can make very form learned opinions and people do. Yeah. And, there, and there's so many people who just like work in football now at so many different levels. Like fundamentally the pro games, not that different than the other levels, other than a few little things. Like you can know your football really well without being in the pro game. It's not that complicated. It's, it's mostly just giant men running into each other, according to a plan. That's, comes down to it dude i think it's a little complicated i have okay it's, it is complicated <laughs> this was initially the reason i decided to start coaching though is i just wanted to learn more about football it's taken on a whole other life but like i wanted to be more knowledgeable about the sport i covered that's it i mean that's hardcore <laughs> and uh, i mean <laughs> a, a good way to do it i i used to I used to say when I would write that I would I would just never watch tape. I, I always used to be like, I I can tell enough from my stats and stuff that I don't need to go that route. Now I watch tape all the all the time and like I talk to people when I don't understand something. I'll still never understand offensive line play and I don't think I'm I'll be bothered enough. Oh, that's to my favorite. <laughs> I love it. I'm I'm sure it's very interesting, but uh uh, if I can't put some kind of metric to it on, on, on the front end to kind of bucket things, I just can't. This doesn't work for me. Uh, <laughs> I'll leave that to other people. Um, but yeah, don't don't go don't go doing that. That's that's no good. Uh, should they run RPOs anymore at all? Like he he's he's making reads post snap. He can't run himself. I feel like the upside's just super limited on them. And plus, he is getting dictated to. I feel like they should just trash it from the playbook or you know put in a love package or something <laughs> let me ask I, let me ask this too related to that they they seem to be doing okay early in games they're taking leads in these games so is are, are the rpos the point of the game where you you are are they more off script plays than what happens early in the game because it seems like maybe those are two completely different questions should they script more should they run rpos more but what's the when are those coming into play so I, I think my issue with it is, and I don't know if this is entirely correct. This is just for me just watching film. It feels like what a lot of Rogers determinations are, are pre-snap where yes. he's like, I have this look and I'm going to make this decision. Where in a, a traditional RPO system, you are trying to make those reads as the play is developing. And I'm not sure we seeing enough of that Rogers. Um, Dusty wrote a big 
thing about that specific issue uh, would listen to what dusty says yeah after the giants game and he was actually able to cite a couple of plays that were clearly rogers post-snap reads in the past where he'd gotten like blown up by demarcus ware um and seemed to get skittish about it after that but um dusty was definitely in agreement that he basically does not make um post-snap reads on rpos and that seems frankly kind of terrible because if you're making only pre-snap reads that's just another piece of information that the other team has about what the play is about to be in front of you. It just seems like there's yep. like very little upside on that play with Rogers at this point. Yep. It's- okay. So there was a, there was a Twitter question from Rusty Weiss that I think we wanted to yeah. address. We, we kind of answered it, but we should give him some credit. So oh, yeah, let's yeah. read it. <laughs> so his question was, seems like AR is killing yards after catch in the short pass game, not hitting them in stride, at least in my inexpert opinion. So what's causing the inaccuracy age, thumb injury mechanics or lack of protection or all of the above. I wouldn't just yes. general weirdness either. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it is all of the above um, age plus poor mechanics plus thumb injury. Lack of protection, not so much in this game. Um, I, I think Royce getting bopped into him a couple times in the last few games, yes, but not so much here. It, it, uh, uh, so, should we should we go off Aaron for a little bit? Because there were other problems too. Um, yeah, this has been very Aaron heavy, and um, I think pe- people that don't like hearing about it are going to get mad. So yeah. yeah, we should probably talk about it. And the receivers have been legitimately bad as well. Um, they yep. rank among the worst in the league in gaining separation. They drop balls just at a crazy rate um and uh the the rookies have just not developed at all and Dobbs seems to get worse every week like I feel like he's just got he's regressed over and over and over again um so Aaron has I think some legitimate gripes and I think he only had 12 incompletions in this game I believe there were eight drops so I mean cut him cut him some slack there drops being not always entirely on the receiver as we gave on the Dobbs example but um it's a problem. It's a legitimate problem. Their strategy has not worked out. Um, Watson and Dubs have, Dubs have not been good enough. Sammy Watkins has been his normal, you know, hurt for much of the season self. And now lots of people are hurt and they don't have any receivers to play out there. So I think the front office definitely deserves some blame for not going and getting at least a couple of reliable veterans. I think the big, Watkins isn't a bad idea in a vacuum. The problem is He's just not going to be there a lot of the time. He's never had a healthy season, ever, ever, ever. They needed to do something, even with a mediocre guy who could just at least be on the field in a calming veteran presence. And they didn't really do that. <laughs> um, uh, when is this trade deadline coming up? It's Wednesday. Next yeah, Wednesday. okay. That's what I thought. Yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't decide if it was this week or next week. Um, they need a receiver. And, and we say this every trade deadline, and I realize that nothing will happen, just like mm-hmm. they'll never draft a receiver in the first round, even though we always talk ourselves into that actually happening. It's never going to happen. But they need a flipping receiver. They need to get somebody to do that. Because, I mean, for me, like, I, I know it's too early to be this concerned about dubs, but, like, I'm starting to wonder, is he, is he even going to be able to do this? And, and you know, like, certainly maybe next year. But this year, like, is he going to be anything this year? I, I think there's some concern that they don't have anybody they have to, you know, with, with Cobb out and Watkins bound to get hurt again. Uh, they, Lazard, they, Lazard out, Lazard hurt his shoulder in this yep. game. No idea if he's going to be available going forward. Legitimately who is going to catch the football. They, they, they got to get somebody. My God, Paul, it's your time. It's your time to shine. It's, you know, you want catching the ball. They should do it. Uh, like, I'm not even kidding. They, they, they should actually elevate Samari Toure into a bigger role. And, um, he, Dude, so, he almost scored on the last play of the game. He was he had open field in front of him. He was close. And also his one catch for four yard was just a one catch for four yards. 
but he looked like an NFL receiver on his one catch for four yards. Like he, he muscled the guy. He made a nice move to try and get a little more. Um, he, I, I actually think he is. So first of all, your evidence for Samari Touré. He made the 53 as a seventh round pick. They, they clearly saw something there with him. Um, In fairness, every one of their draft picks made the 53. Yeah, they did. That's true. Although I, I still feel like if a seventh rounder was bad, they would still just ship that person off. Sure. Um, but he, he was a legitimate um, deep threat and he does kind of what they need. Like he was a good deep middle of the field. He's not like a burner burner, but he has good body control. He adjusted the ball well in the air. He actually runs pretty good routes. Like uh, Samari Toure had a lot of dings on his scouting reports pre-draft of he is a little uh, robotic in his routes. I, I actually don't see that. I didn't see it against Wisconsin when he lit them up and I didn't see it against Ohio state when he lit them up. Um, I think, I think he's legitimately a good receiver. The rest of the, there's nobody else to go to here unless they do sign somebody, which they kind of can't. Um, so the, like here's Buffalo is very, very, very good against all receiver splits, except for outside. Um, the, the, you kind of have to attack him outside. They take away slot guys. They take away tight ends. They're the, I mean, they're the best defense in football. They rank fourth overall against the pass. Um, you got to go after the one weakness. You have to do with either Watkins or Toure. Those are the only guys who can do it that are healthy. Are you going to run Amari Rogers outside 20, 20 snaps? That's stupid. Like that's that's your other alternative. Or Juwan Winfrey, which is not the answer to any question. So, um, Paul, it's time. I think this is what people call having a media agenda. <laughs> like you definitely seem to have a Toure agenda, and I kind of love it. Yeah. Well, my agenda is he showed up on my numbers, and then he ended up on the team, <laughs> and then he made the team. I love it. I do. I like the Nebraska guys from last year, the skill position players, because they played. Uh, they played in the dumbest offense. The du- they played for the dumbest team of all time, and a lot of them still performed well despite playing for the dumbest team of all time. He's one of them. He's actually really good. Um, he was better than Christian Watson at the lower level when he was uh, before Nebraska, um, and uh, yeah, he he should be your guy. They should work him in. He's actually a good player. As far as line play. How do we feel about our new left tackle Zach Tom? Um, I say our in the in a in a flippant sense. I I do not want to be accused of of, of uh, going self referential on the Packers, but uh, the it's interesting. I feel like the jury has to be out still. Like on the one hand, he was okay, but on the other hand, I feel like they really set him up to succeed. They gave him a lot of help. I would love to handle this one because I watched Zach Tom late in the draft process. And he was one of the most fascinating prospects I watched on the O-line because, like, very undersized tackle, obviously played center. So that in and of itself was weird. But you look at the competition he faced in the ACC for being an undersized guy, he moves so well functionally. His feet are rapid quick. He makes quick cuts. Like, just a very interesting prospect that I thought would be, like, a fitting guard or something like that. I was a little surprised they put him at left tackle. That being said, yeah, they really didn't ask him to do too much. He didn't have a lot of true pass sets where he didn't have chip help or, you know, anything like that. Um, that being said, yeah, he did fine. Um, we'll see what happens because we have no idea on a day-to-day basis. We'll talk to you. Yep. I think he's a good backup, but he did get pushed into the backfield quite a bit when he was not helped. Um, that anchors, it is light. It That knock is legit, but he moves yeah. so well um, that, uh, you know, there's still he brings something to the table. Um, he's a good projectable guy. He'll get bigger and better and he's fine for the time being, but, uh, I wouldn't want to be running him out there against <laughs> like elite edge rushers and situations where you can't help him as much that like is, Von Miller. Yes. Like that. Not great. Hopefully Bakhtiari, 
uh, wakes up on the correct side of the, the bed on Sunday. Yeah. This has the potential to be a little bit of a disaster because they let Bakhtiari play practice three days in a row when they said they weren't going to. And then he comes down Saturday with this questionable knee injury. It doesn't play. And, uh, you know, like, obviously it's too early in the week to know what the practice situation is, but it remains to be seen. But if he can't go for multiple weeks, it's going to it's gonna be yet another black mark on, on this team. I mean, I don't know if you can directly compare, you know, point to the multiple days of practice in a row, but they seems it seems like they got away from a plan and it maybe bit them. I'm not sure. It could be that and the flight. That's not that's another thing I've been wondering. Um, yep. I have a, one of my fellow coaches, uh, he played at Western Michigan, uh, just recently had ACL surgery, and he talks about like any exterior, extended period of time just sitting down and how much that messes with his knee mm-hmm. right now. So um, something that could be a possibility. Yeah, and it's not like this hasn't been an issue with him of just it, yeah. it flaring up in knots, and um, there's all kinds of reasons it could have happened, but it's not great, and mm-hmm. – it, it puts them in such a bad situation, not being able to tell from week to week, uh, especially with like Yash Nyman. You would like to be able to train up for whatever part of, side of the line you want him to play on. And if you don't know till the last day, you can't really do it. It's it's not great. Uh, David Bakhtiari, um, I, 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 it's not really his fault. I think that was a bad knee injury. It was, uh, you know, not uh, kind of catastrophic. It's taken a long time and it's hard to work with it. Uh, it. It just puts them in a tough position. Um, it, and, you know, in past seasons, maybe not as much uh, with healthy Elton Jenkins, certainly not as much when uh, they've had more versatility on just being able to move people all over to cover. But now they have a bunch of guys who don't play as many positions and it is tricky week to week to actually get people ready for, you know, X position that they might be learning about playing on Friday. Um, it's a unfortunate situation I do. Uh, the Bakhtiari thing is going to be just a haunting forever. It's going to be just news every week and a big deal, and uh, it's really too bad. Yeah. Honestly, it's kind of heartbreaking, man, because he's just such a likable guy on the yeah. team and has been. I mean, way before there was an argument to be made that he was the best left tackle in football. Yeah, I think he was pretty clearly. But uh, guys all right, get defensively. Hurt. Defensively, you said you think the pass defense is was okay, and you, spo- you pointed to Jair Alexander being in the right spot. He shattered McLaurin. I mean, I guess like if I'm watching a replay of the game, I see McLaurin score a touchdown against Jair and that third and nine conversion that really you know sort of drove a stake through their heart late in the game. Jair is right there as well, so like it would it doesn't feel to me on the surface that that was a good game for him, but but you feel otherwise. I I think he was. He did a good job staying close to guys. One of Jair's weaknesses is he can get mossed. He is he's a tiny man. Uh, he's very quick and agile and fast, but he's not going to box guys out and win jump balls. And uh, McLaurin's not huge, but he just did a really nice job, you know, going up and getting the ball. And um, in a different week, Alexander, I think, is probably disruptive enough that that doesn't happen. On that last pass, if Taylor Henneke has his eyes open, he might not throw the ball because he was pretty covered. <laughs> But uh, pressure pressure did him dirty there. He had to get rid of it, and he threw up a prayer, and McLaurin won it. So, yeah. And um, aside from that, though, it's not like they scored a ton of points. Like, Washington did not go up and down the field with their quarterbacking, and they, they were good at converting third downs. Um, they were good at buying him time to throw and just getting it barely across the sticks on third downs. But generally speaking, they had, they had good coverage. They did a nice job, um, and 
it was the run defense more than anything that just destroyed them and having to make um, concessions to actually bone up and stop the run, which they both did and did not do to good effect, uh, made the pass defense also look a little worse than it was. The run defense why, still sucks. Why are we not talking about trades for defensive linemen? Seriously. Uh, Matt Ioannidis is on the Panthers, and he's a solid, solid player on a reasonable contract. Just take, just get a, give him a sixth. They're trying to ship off people in his contracts over after this year. Just ship ship a sixth. I'll take Ioannidis. I'm sick of the Packers being bad at stopping the run. This is very annoying. And in the past, they have made midseason trades to get guys to stop the run. That, that's a thing they've done before. Like Grady Jackson was a, a midseason, wasn't he? Howard Green maybe was. Like Howard Green was a street, but still, like okay, they, they addressed it. Yes, just just go. They're pretty easy to find because they're not highly valued by a lot of teams. Like they they definitely need one as a rotational player. This is getting ridiculous. They're they're so much worse than every other team. And, and usually, like, if you're the 20th worst rushing defense, nobody cares. It's not a big deal. But if you're the 32nd worst rushing defense, then you lose games because teams can just easily go up and down the field on you. That's where the Packers keep being. They, they, it's such an easy problem to fix. I hate it when teams don't fix easy problems. I just double-checked Ioannidis' contract. Uh, $2 million cap hit. He's 28 years old. For some reason, the Panthers tacked on four void years to this contract. Why? The uh, 2023 cap hit is $3.8 million, and then it's 950000 for the next three years. He has a $9.5 million contract that they only put a $2 million cap hit in 2022. So if he was traded... I'm pretty sure the Panthers take on that whole cap hit, yep. and the Packers just take a pro-rate version of the two. Trade, trade for him. Do it. It Get is him. a simple one. Also, Howard Green was claimed up waivers from the Jets. Okay. So technically a street free agent, but you know, I, 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 it occurred to me that that would be really late in the season to find a somebody who makes a huge play for you in the Super Bowl. Uh, but uh, but yes, claimed off waivers. Um, so Devondre Campbell has the defensive play of the game, this pick six, which was really, really nice play. Uh, and in fact, going back to Jair, if he had just intercepted the ball when it was when it was in his bread basket, this might have been a different game too. But also true. Or if they don't, if they aren't flagged for an insane penalty, a legal touching penalty, when uh, when they had another defensive, was that a defensive touchdown or it was just it would have been a touchdown. It would have been a touchdown. Right? Yeah. Yep. Stokes had it. He was gone. Yeah. Uh, Rasul had a couple flash plays in the game, but. Um, Oh yeah, or or Stokes, whatever, whichever Stokes, ugh, Stokes. Um, but are, are you saying because of in the rundown here, you indicate that because of that pick six by Devondre Campbell, his PFF grade is now pretty reasonable for the whole year? It, um, I don't know what's good. So PFFs had a rough year. I will I will say that <laughs> they really have. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, weird stuff going on with them, and um, I actually hadn't looked at Campbell's grade in a while, but uh, he's like fifth overall uh, on linebackers and. That's I'll pull it up just to make sure I'm right. But yeah, that's ridiculous. He uh... <laughs> they also like... said the Packers only allowed one pressure, and I just don't think they had way more than that. that yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah, is this like how Christian Yelich is a Gold Glove finalist in left field because the majority of left fielders are very bad? Like maybe inside linebackers are just all bad. I think it is. But so I, I pulled it up. Devondre Campbell ranks fourth of 79 uh, linebackers on PFF. He has an 81.3 overall grade. Um, oh. he, he has an 85.6 coverage grade, which, um, that doesn't I've watched him miss assignments and coverage. Yeah. That doesn't track with any film that I've seen. It doesn't track with any splits on like where, where the Packers are targeted. It's just patently ridiculous. It's nonsense. 
So yes, um, his grade is very very high, but uh, and he had a good, he did have a good game, and that, that pick six was legit good coverage, and the, and housing it was legit athletic, but he's had a rough year. Um, I don't I don't get what they're doing. Just wanted to point out that th- they actually have some good grades on defense, and he's one of them. And if you go to PFF to check out their guys, be skeptical of a couple of them. That one is uh, not great. Did he have a pick six last year or a? like against Cincinnati or he something? did didn't he where he like tapped it up in the air and then to himself and and housed it I think it might have been Cincinnati I think it was uh, well okay so it wasn't he, Washington he had an overtime interception against Cincinnati I don't I was at that game I don't think he tipped it but I do remember he just jumped I mean I think Burrow just messed that one up but fun game wild game to be at I was also lots of missed field goals. yeah that game was wild um you Quay Walker uh, I'm starting to wonder who the stars are from any of the last two draft classes. It's getting a little dicey. <laughs> we were very up on him. Um, he looks pretty rough. Like he looks both like he doesn't know what he's doing and like he might be too light, um, which you can fix that. You can get a little more bulk on you, but uh, I I don't know. I feel like he should be further along than this by now. It, Tyler, is he going to be any good? I still think he hits well. Like when he actually makes solid contact with a guy, I think he, they kind of stop in their tracks. It's uh, yeah, you got to be comfortable with the scheme, but I also just disagree with the scheme. So yeah, th- there's that. I, I I'm probably putting too much on this one splash play, but on his blitz, I feel like he like took too long from his last step before he got to the quarterback to getting to the quarterback. Like it looked like it was in slow motion. It was bizarre. Um, I don't I don't know that what's going yeah. on with that guy. It's uh the beginning of that draft class is looking uh Ugh. pretty rough. Yes, it pretty is pretty rough. So I I think I was right about this. It was Douglas who had the sixty-two yard scoop and score, and Stokes. Oh, it was, was okay. Flagged for the penalty. For okay. The yep. Touch. Illegal contact, whatever it is. Terrible. I I mean I don't know. Letter of the law, it's probably the right call. But man, alive! It just you just can't do anything. You just cannot do anything if you're the defender. In football, and I, I guess that's just the way it is. That's how off, the offense is king, and that's that's the way it goes. But man, does it it does that hurt ultimately to, to have that have that be flagged when it was? It does. By the way, no pick sixes for Campbell last year. Just the uh, overtime interception. I right, got it. Yep. Got it. Um, are they ever going to stop a running back? Like, I, and I don't even mean any star running backs, but like this is going back to that Giants game. I I no longer, you know, like Brees Hall got hurt this week, and it's like. My first thought was, uh, I mean, that's that sucks. First of all, because he's he's a pretty cool player. My second thought is, well, the, the Packers got the brunt of him before, you know, one week before they, they lose him. My third thought is, it doesn't matter who the running back would have been for the New York Jets or the New York Giants or the Washington Commanders. I feel like they can't stop anybody. So, if, if you want a little bit of hope, they did stop Leonard Fournette. Um, he had 12 carries for 35 yards in Tampa, and the the Bills, if they have any weakness at all. It's that they are in a similar tier to the Buccaneers on rushing efficiency. They're 28th in DVOA um, in running, and by EPA per play, they're also in that that sort of crappy tier. So maybe this week, if you want to look to to one maybe positive against the Bills, Tyler's not saying no, but Josh, Josh Allen's going to run for like 190 yards. There is there is that yes. Oh no, a Kaepernick <laughs> he. If Gary said Packers can't scrape over fast enough, he is going to eat them alive in the running game. Entirely possible. 
they uh, they really haven't faced a mobile quarterback at all this year, other than Fields, who um I, I, they hadn't really installed their quarterback run game yet, as we found out about the Bears. So this is uncharted territory. Could could be rough. Um, I don't know, man. Daniel Jones has convinced me that he's a running quarterback he, after watching the Packers try he, to bring him down. He is a running quarterback when he's yeah, healthy. He, he just wasn't yeah. super healthy in that game. They still couldn't stop him either. They nope. couldn't stop anybody. Very frustrating. Uh, Amari Rogers is 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 a puzzle because uh, obviously the man has no confidence on special teams, or so it would seem. And then uh, you know, like you you mentioned to me, Paul, when I said how how is he still here again? because they need a they need wide receivers and there, there was a time in this game where he was pretty competent as a wide receiver so uh he's i don't imagine they're going to cut bait with him and i i don't think they're going to cut bait with him at any point this year at this rate because who is going to catch the football <laughs> but uh i i don't i don't know how they can keep letting him try to catch the football when it's punted into the air one one time the packers made what i still consider the pettiest trade of all time after ty montgomery fumbled right? against the yep. rams yep. a not that year seventh round pick a Next year, seventh round pick. I would love to see the same thing happen for Amari. Yeah, they got. There had to be more going on with Ty Montgomery because that you're as petty. Like Ty Montgomery is still in the league. Like he wasn't. He wasn't a useless player. It was. Oh, I loved when he moved to running back. That was so hilarious. It was genuinely entertaining watching him. It was very fun. I love Ty Montgomery. I wish he would have stuck around forever, but alas. Um, But yeah, they should get um, uh, Amari Rogers. Is just the enigma of the team he's not good he's never been good he he's cost them so many games for yeah. a guy that like barely t- sees the field he's cost them like four or five just football games outright including this one if he just doesn't do that they probably win this game it, it he's a disaster it's hard to come up with like he's 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 much much worse than tj rubley which is really all you can say about a guy from a packer perspective all right, Buffalo Bills. We are you. You sort of just teased this. Yeah. If there is a scenario where the Packers beat the Buffalo Bills, is, is there a scenario where the Packers beat the Buffalo? Yeah, Bills? of course there is. Yes. <laughs> uh, it, it would make sense with this season that you play all these bad teams and lose, and then just beat the Bills. Uh, yeah, and that's what what I was saying at the outset. Like reading your article really hit home because every year the Packers find themselves in this situation it all there's almost always a kickback there's almost always there's 2013 where they're just hanging on enough with matt flynn until aaron Rodgers comes back there's 2016 where okay there's still a scenario even though they're four and six and they're screwed oh then they go run the table it did not happen in 2018 they moved on and then right away 2019 they're competitive again you know like this is the first time where i don't see the light at the end of the tunnel or the hope at the end of the tunnel like it used to it, it, it's the first time where I feel like we're going to be facing multiple years going backward for the first time. Um, but, you know, there's still a part of me that's like, like you said, just the way the year is gone, maybe they actually put it together against the Buffalo Bills and they win the game and now they've got a new confidence and they, they start rolling and the NFC still sucks a little bit. So they end up in a position where they go to the playoffs and shit, you get to the postseason, anything can happen. Yeah. So here's the story. Um, the, the Bills have actually struggled a couple times this year. And it's when Diggs has been taken away. Um, that happened against the Dolphins, and it happened against the Ravens. They did a very nice job covering him, held him to uh, like ten yards a catch, held him to like sixty percent receptions. Um, and Jair is a pretty good matchup for Diggs. He has familiar- familiarity with him. He is able to cover elite receivers when he's not getting mossed by McLaren. Um, and 
that is a potential way to work this pretty well if they actually decide to not play a stupid zone that Josh Allen will tear apart with his arms and his legs. Um, the other two major receivers on the Bills are Isaiah McKenzie, who is sort of their Debo and is a good matchup for Douglas, and uh, and Gabriel Davis, who is averaging like 27 yards a catch and just runs nine balls all day and is slower than Stokes um, and not that shifty. So they can cover their main pass-catching battalion pretty well, and um, they can generate pressure. Uh, the Bills are, you know, their, their line is certainly not bad. They're especially good at pass protecting. But Josh Allen runs himself into sacks like mobile quarterbacks do. And if they hit him a few times, maybe force an interception, which the Ravens did. I think it was the Ravens. Maybe you can keep him in check. Maybe you can hold him to like 24-ish points, and then you just need to get some offense. And that's... Do they have 25 points of offense in them against Buffalo, Buffalo's defense? That's the question. And uh, if you're rooting for a couple things on offense, uh, A, Romeo Dobbs is probably going to see less time because that game was trash. And so um, I, don't, I'm, I don't think they'll elevate Toure, but Sammy Watkins is healthy. Um, Sammy Watkins will probably be their primary outside receiver in this game. Sammy Watkins uh, is at least a halfway decent explosive threat if his hamstrings hold up. And I assume he wants at least a little bit of revenge on the Bills in the first place. So um, he'll be going against the weakest Buffalo corner on the outside. That that's something. And if you want, if you want just a hail mary bit of hope here, that Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones touchdown pass in the last game, uh, one of the few instances all year where Aaron leaves the pocket, um, where he rolls out, uh, does a little improv, finds a guy down the field, and he actually did say after the game. I think jokingly, and maybe I have to do a little bit more of that, but he really should do a little bit more of that if his legs can handle it. And um, in this game, that would be helpful. Maybe he will. So um, that's all I got. They have a, they match up halfway decently personnel-wise, and at least Buffalo can't run them to death. Josh Allen can run them to death, but running backs can't run them to death. Um, it's it's something. It, it It could be worse. How funny is it that they match up better against the Buffalo Bills than the Detroit Lions? <laughs> uh, it's 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 really something. Also, Washington, like Washington, matched up really well against the Packers. It's one of the annoying yeah. things about that game. Um, the Bills really don't hit the, the weak spots of the Packers like a lot of other teams do. So, yeah, you never know. You never know. All right. So we think that the Packers lose by only two touchdowns. I. <laughs> I, I'm still going to take the Bills and uh, give the points in this game only because my prediction on this is I think that they'll keep it close for like a half. I think the defense will be very rah-rah, that the offense will try some stuff and maybe even have it work. But I think they'll kind of run out of gas in the second half. I, I just think they'll run out of game plan. They'll they'll get tired on defense, and the Bills will pull away, um, and that's kind of how this will go. That's my prediction. I think because it's a Sunday night game. That they'll at least show up. Yeah, they'll show that, up. That's like, yeah, they'll show up. Yep. Oh, boy. All right. <laughs> Shall we move on to questions? Let's do it. We'll start with our Patreon. Of course, patrons get question priority. We'll start with Mark Putscarby. Are there any analytics on when to challenge? Early in the game, LaFleur used to challenge on a clear incompletion, but it only gained the Packers three yards of field position. Then in the second quarter, they lost a challenge because they used the first challenge that left them without a challenge for the rest of the game. However, it didn't really come back to bite the Packers. Should coaches basically challenge anytime it's clear they will win, regardless of how small the impact might seem, or should they attempt to save challenges for plays that have at least a moderate impact? 
That's a really good question. I like that. It is. Yeah. Uh, and I think the answer is that there's not like a chart you can ever rely on for this because the nature of plays is so different. But generally speaking, you're right. And actually, the EPA and WPA charts are probably the best way to go here because you shouldn't just challenge three yards of field position most of the time. That's just not going to matter. And it is better to have challenges for more important plays and also not to, you know, what happened in this game, not to lose that third one um, if you if you spend one that you don't really need to. Um, but coaches definitely should include the potential impact. Like you should not just challenge something because it's wrong. That's that's not smart. That's a bad idea. And I think actually a lot of coaches will take some flack every once in a while from from challenging a play purely on uh, on its weight, on its win percentage added. You'll see this once in a while where like it's clear that it's not going to be overturned, but if it does get overturned, it's like game changing. That is probably worth doing once in a while, even if it makes you stupid. Because I agree. the NFL is not consistent all the time on these kinds of things. Uh, in college, you should absolutely do it because God knows what they're looking at in college on replays. Uh, but in the, even in the NFL, like it's worth a, a, it is worth it for a big play a lot of the time, and it's not worth it for a player going to win a lot of the time if it's short, for sure. The the cost is so steep, and I mean, you saw it in, in you know to to go back to college. The Badgers had a clear fourth down stop and the camera wasn't lined up right or something. And they wound up ruling a touchdown against Purdue on Saturday. It's absolute nonsense. And you, you run into that sometimes, sometimes the, the angle isn't right or whatever. And even though it's clear to you, you lose the challenge for whatever reason. And that's way too risky to lose both your challenge and a timeout for a three yard gain. So I'm with you. I would wait until the moment really, really calls for it. And there might be a feel thing like, okay, this first down is deep on their side of the territory, but we really feel like we can get the stop on the next play and bury him or whatever. Like th there's some feel to that, but three yards, come on, man. That was way, just way too early in the game. It's, it's right. That's the same thing as burning a timeout. You know, that's an asset. You just don't get back for something for what? All right. Mark Pitscarby also says, I'm in agreement with you guys and most analytics that teams shouldn't use premium assets to acquire running backs. That said, why do the Packers continually see smart teams do this? In the last few years, some of the smartest teams in the NFL, Packers, Chiefs, Bills, 49ers, Rams, Steelers, Colts, Ravens, drafted a running back with a first or second round pick, traded premium assets for a running back. Why are we missing or why are we missing something? I'll go first. Uh, we might be missing something. Um, so, I, the reason I say that is because I do feel like um, analytics people are overconfident in this opinion. And uh, you should never be that confident in your, especially your sort of football valuations, because this is not baseball, where baseball, you have a very simple formula to determine the value of both hitters and pitchers. And it works very well and it's very repeatable. But the value of NFL players is very dependent on things like scheme and, and like. Lovey Smith drafting defensive players is much different than other defensive coordinators drafting defensive players. Like he, he values different things for good reason. Uh, I suspect that running backs are m more valuable than we give them credit for. Um, in, in baseball, actually, this happened with catcher framing, where NFL team or MLB teams actually knew catchers were more valuable than everybody else did uh, much earlier than everybody else did until Prospectus came out and basically proved it. Um, these things can change and. Well, I still think running backs are um, not as valuable as a lot of other positions, mostly because there's a lot of them uh, and they don't they don't last a long time. But in terms yes. of the value they add on the field, I think this is probably a little underrated for a team like the 49ers. If you can get that contribution in the pass game, 
like with Christian McCaffrey, where you can get him in space going forward. That fi- like, the whole 49ers thing is Jimmy Garoppolo sucks at throwing the ball. Um, well, generally speaking, but down the field, they generate big plays by giving him easy throws and then having their receivers run for the most yak. If you look at the yak list on next gen stats, their guys always dominate it. That's how they generate yards. And to them, a running back who can catch the ball and generate four yards of yak every time he touches it is as valuable as like a a middle possession receiver who you have to force the ball into over the middle to get yards. Um, the Packers are of that school. They're of the same kind of thing. And I think Andy Reid thinks he can turn uh, shifty running backs into big play threats uh, just by virtue of his genius. And sometimes he's right about that. Uh, so I wouldn't say the Steelers are necessarily the brightest of teams on this level. I think that they are three yards in a cloud of dust still, but the Colts are. They're very smart. The Ravens have a great front office, and we should pay attention to what they do and be a little humble about our pronunciations about player value because um, these are the teams with nerds on them that do a good job drafting and signing players, and they probably know something we don't. If you think about where the league is shifting now too i mean scoring's way down offensive you know offensive production's way down a lot of too high safeties um with all that like running backs are becoming more important field positions becoming more important uh, time of possessions becoming more important um having one of these guys that can help move the chains consistently does add significant value to your team so maybe some of these teams were expecting this trend to happen you know there are some parts of football that are cyclical Yep, and that could be too. The two high shell is a good example too, because the whole thing is it's hard to hit it over the top. But if you can get a high, if you can get a guy in front of the safeties who's bigger than the safeties, you can make some hay with that. And uh, that's kind of the whole whole thing there. Um, get guys there and plow forward. Jeremy Moan uh, asks you, Paul. You started the season optimistic. Can you please remind us why you were and what went so <laughs> wrong? Uh, well, um, the problem is that a lot of things went wrong all at the same time, and that happens sometimes, especially when your quarterback is older. But um, why I was optimistic? They have a very talented defense with a lot of high draft picks and big money on it, and that defense should be better. And uh, even though we pointed out last season that Joe Barry's defense didn't rank highly in things like DVOA, it seemed a lot better than Mike Pettins did. And uh, with another year of tutelage might work pretty well. That did not happen. Um, they spent money on Razul Douglas and Devondre Campbell, who um, I still think are good players, but buying high on guys is not always the best idea. And it, it also does not do any favors for their cap. And then on offense, I didn't think Aaron would take this big a step back, and I thought at least one rookie uh, wide receiver would be playable. Um, that's really all I wanted is the ability to spread the ball around to all the guys. Like Aaron Jones and Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb and Sammy Watkins and a rookie, um, if Aaron Rodgers is making proper reads and throwing to the open man, is good in theory. In practice, Aaron Rodgers decline and bad mechanics and getting old and lack of mobility and those receivers not working out and getting hurt doesn't work as well. So that's why, and that's, uh, that's why I was wrong. Scarf 21 says the season has been so depressing and I'm already <laughs> looking forward to draft season. If you were Goody, which position would you prioritize for your first pick? Assuming yes. that there are really good options available at each position of need. Let's go. <laughs> it's like he was waiting for on the show. Yep. Um, I actually wrote this list in the APC slack. I'm not going to pull it up. Um, <laughs> edge rusher is always great. 
edge rushers fun. Felix Anudike Uzama out of Kansas State is still pretty raw, but he's super athletic, and there are plays every once in a while where you're like, holy crap, that guy can do that. If they go, if things are absolutely horrible and they get a borderline top 10 pick, uh, Brian Brissy on the defensive line out of Clemson, uh, he was the number one recruit in high school coming out into college. Um, does a great job shooting his hands, uh, really athletic. I think he'd be a really good fit with Kenny Clark because he can also kind of move around the defensive line. Wide receiver, it gets a little muddy. The Quentin Johnson's Johnston's the guy out of TCU who's just basically just made to be a Packer. He's six foot four, super long, super dangerous after the catch, has a lot of great effort blocking. Uh, I hope they don't take a tight end in the first round, but Michael Mayer out of Notre Dame is like the tight end this year. Um, I've just started watching offensive linemen. Paris Johnson, the tackle who played guard last year for Ohio State. Uh, I really like um, what are the positions we missing? Safety could be a big one. Um, if Adrian Amos doesn't come back in with Darnell Savage all year, um, there's a guy named Antonio Johnson out of Texas tech. who's kind of like a slot defender. Uh, I think it'd be a pretty interesting, um, but yeah, I think biggest ones, defensive line edge. Um, if things go really, really, really bad quarterback, DJ Stroud. Yep. <laughs> not- That's really bad. There are some day two, day three options too. If they don't think love is the answer, it's successor and want a toolsy guy. There are a lot of interesting quarterbacks in this draft. There are tons. It's going to be super fun. Um, there are a lot of guys who are more accurate than you would expect that will fall in this one that would have been um, higher than most of the quarterbacks in this last draft that were taken. Um, and I've got my list started already. Well, I'll have to update it when stuff happens, but like, um, even like my favorite is always Grayson McCall, who is Coastal Carolina's quarterback and is gun bone, baby. No kidding. Like the greatest college quarterback of all time. Um, and by his three, three years of awesome metrics, um, he's going to be like a sixth or seventh rounder. I I'm guessing and is worth taking a hit on if his arm is not terrible. Um, and I will also stand Michael Penix, who is as great tools and has turned into a very accurate quarterback. What I like about him is, uh, he's an IU grad. Actually, Not kind IU of grad, yes, because I, yeah. uh, he hit my my metrics thresholds yet at Indiana as a freshman, and then they just went to crap because they're Indiana, and he 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 went with them because there was nobody to throw to, and he transferred, and he shot right back up the charts. Uh, that guy is a good good quarterback, very athletic, and a very accurate passer. I want I want that guy. Plus, coaches absolute coaches love him. Awesome. Also, he would sell a million jerseys, uh, just just millions yeah. and millions of jerseys. Do you have any numbers on Cameron Ward out of Washington State? He uh, is a transfer from Incarnate Word. Um, but he, he was is, so bad against the Badgers. Oh my god, he was so bad. Uh, I haven't watched him yet, but I've been interested. So there, my, my numbers are not great on Cameron Ward. I would say yeah. mildly accurate, not explosive enough for his um, not elite uh, accuracy. Throw he's throwing a lot of interceptions. Um, his his difference in his interception adjustment is gigantic on this thing. So that's never a good sign either when you're not ripping it down the field. Full disclosure: I have not watched him yet, but I was hearing things, so I was All curious. Right. Uh, what do you? Where are you guys at with Goody? Like in terms of? Mm, good question. His, yeah, his, that is a good question. Draft profile. I mean, he he gets credit for Jair Alexander. Uh, he took a risk on Rashawn Gary. That seems to be paying off. 
Elton he Jenkins. deserves all the credit in the world for the Rashawn Gary one. Yeah. Yep. Elton Jenkins is drafted on his watch. <laughs> After that, it's pretty yeah. AJ Dillon, Josh Myers. Like, there's obviously some contributors, but it's not great. Um, I, I feel like he's really more risk preferring than Ted was. And, and I'd say that's maybe the big difference between the two. You're more likely to get a raw like high athletic guy like Ted loved his athletic profiles don't get me wrong but I do feel like he also um, would buy into traditional scouting maybe a little bit more and I feel like Goody is very much uh, a developmental guy especially in the draft and that can backfire Um, it can sometimes pay off huge like it does does with Gary but if those guys don't come around if you're not banking on college production and just buying you know the body that sometimes blows up in your face and puts you at risk of not hitting on enough. And I think that is mainly what's happened to them lately, where guys have not come around quickly enough, and um, th- their hits look good, but their misses are, you know, very, very bad misses. Now, I'll say the caveat to that is Amari Rogers, who is not a good athlete or projectable, and that just seems like bad. Uh, bad process, yeah. bad scouting. I don't know what was going on there. That one always gives me the willies, because I would love to know the rationale behind why they did it in the first place. I think... It, the it's weird to say after living through the Ted Thompson era, but like his pro personnel department is probably where he's really been thriving is mm-hmm. finding guys outside of the building, not through the draft and bringing them in. I mean, Devondre, Sewell, yeah. Zadarius, Preston. Um, there, yeah. I mean, Adrian Amos, like that off season class of free agents, like turned the Packers around on what could have been like a retooling reloading year. Yeah, yeah that was great. All right, Jason Spitz asks, worst of all worlds and greatest fears realized, didn't go all in and didn't go rebuild. Tried tried the middle with horrific results. Now what? <laughs> it's more of a, a statement than a question, I guess. <laughs> I don't I don't think they tried to go middle. I nope. do think they tried. They absolutely tried to go all in. Uh, they tried to, especially this year, I think their strategy was work the cap however we can, stack the defense, figure out the offense, and they just the gamble didn't pay off. Yep. Agree with that. This was not a middle. This was a go for it, and it just didn't work. Age and cap and everything got him. PJ Wessels says the offensive line did not include Bakhtiari, but it looked like it performed well against a strong defensive front. Is that surprising, promising, or both? Also watching the Bears game Monday night, and they may outscore the Packers against the Patriots. Does that mean something? Well, the, <laughs> the Packers and Bears have scored the same number of points this year, unless you, well, except for that safety that the Giants gave them. It's like, well, it's dead even without that, right? That is correct, yes. Oh, they, my gosh. <laughs> so their offenses are as good as each other, which is not a good place to be. Um, it, yes, it, it's it's not that surprising that the offensive line performed okay. Um this is one of those things where like we've been screaming bloody murder that just get Royce out of there and play one of the rookies and move people around to get your strongest players and they'll be fine. And they were once they did it. So uh, it's promising and surprising, but they should have happened earlier and they probably would have won a couple more games. had they'd done it earlier. And uh, yeah, the the bears thing is it's not great. Uh, I said at the beginning of the season, the bears are showing some worrying signs of competence. Um, There are some signs out of Hallis hall that, they are not as dumb as they used to be, and uh, they apparently had a very good draft by the looks of it, which they have not had in ages. Uh, and now they're getting creative with their quarterback for the first time uh, in, well, ever? I don't know, since, well, no, this bears ever. Um, so they might, I don't think they'll be good this year, 
But there's the makings of a decent team in this Bears team. And uh, so, yes, that's what it means. And it's not great. Back on the offensive line point, um, I don't like Nyman at right tackle. Maybe it was just because it was one game. I didn't think he looked very good. I think they might need to figure out something else there. If they need to move him back to left tackle, that's fine. But um, what's Sean Ryan doing, man? Didn't he Didn't he play this position in college? He's just not doing anything. He must look awful in practice to be this big. Yeah. He's yeah. been active though the last couple of weeks, hasn't he? He was active this week, I think. Sean. That Ryan. was just out. Of, I think that was just out of other guys being hurt. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Rashid Walker was active too, so <laughs> for whatever that's. Uh, okay, KTM. Oh, we talked a lot about fall family fun last week yeah, as we a did. as an alternative to watching the Packers, if I recall. <laughs> anyway, KTM says thanks for shouting out fall family fun on last week's pod. The previous week, I went apple picking in Williams Bay, Wisconsin, with the fam. 20,000 steps had a bag of bruised apples we didn't need. Sounds about right. And fellas, my wife dressed me like a total asshole. Absolutely <laughs> devastating game. I hear analysts say the momentum doesn't exist. However, when Amari, the cooler Rogers, aka the mush or the mush, not sure. I don't, I don't get the reference, but has, has his weekly muff on punt returns. Feels like the whole game changes. The shift in body language and play of the coaches and the players is unmistakable. I realize that we are razor thin at wide receiver, but why is management putting Amari in a situation where he can hurt the whole team so profoundly? Is it really just a matter of protecting their draft picks? We don't know. And (laughs) possibly yes, Um, because I think that was one of the ideas in drafting him and they just seem intent on making it happen. But remember, they they, they did take him off and then Watson got hurt and they lost some other options, but we don't, it, it doesn't make any sense. I, this is definitely a sunk cost thing, I think, with Amari. Maybe it's just like, oh, it's Randall Cobb's buddy also. Uh, could be part of it. I, don't, I got nothing, though. It could be anything. Why is he still on the team? He's, he's is Randall Cobb his godfather? Is that right, or I think, am I remembering that completely wrong? I think that's right. Uh, Amari is uh, T. Martin's kid, right? And um, he, he knows Randall Cobb via that somehow. I forgot. I don't I stopped caring when I thought he was going to be off the team, and then he <laughs> keeps being on the team. Well, like I said, I they can't just cut bait with re- wide receivers right now. You know, like they don't have any. So uh, I think he's here for that. I don't know how they put him back at punt return again, though. I mean, they did in this game, though. I mean, after the the drop, he was back. He so, sure was. So that doesn't exactly. Can no one else return about punts on this team? Samari Turi returned something, kicks or punts, one of the two. Uh, Romeo Dobbs returned punts. And, and I'll was, put Randall Cobb. Be fine. He definitely won't get hurt. <laughs> Romeo definitely. This might be where Dubs gets his snaps. Maybe so. <laughs> I'm going for Romeo Dubs returned punts, and he did so in the same year that Amari did in college, and he was much better at it than Amari was in college. So that's a good solution. They should do that. All right, Dylan Tyson. Is that a new Patreon patron? I think Dylan that, Tyson? I believe that is a new one. Yes. Hi, Dylan. Hi, Dylan. The Packers hypothetically could have gotten a lot from Denver in the offseason for Aaron Rodgers. What could they get now at the deadline? Three first round picks or what? Or, or what? And who could who could be potential trade partners? 49ers, Seahawks, others. Um, I know you guys will have an answer for this, but I would point to, I mean, Tyler's article kind of gets into this too, but like trading Aaron Rodgers just doesn't help them. It doesn't, it doesn't get them they're still they're, you you guys talk about it you talk say how this is just not gonna it, happen it, it would have made sense at the time before he signed an obscenely large contract extension yep that's really it now he makes too much money he's essentially unmovable and i think that any team even if you could hypothetically move him i think a lot of teams will be gun shy given the performance so far like you can't just plug aaron into 
like I'd say even the 49ers expect him to do that well. They rely on precision short passing, and he can't do that. And he's not better than Geno for Seattle. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's just you can't you can't get rid of him. You're stuck with Aaron until Aaron decides that you're not stuck with him. By the way, I found this tweet again when writing that article. Do you guys remember when they talked about how his like contract was record breaking, and then he tweeted that that wasn't the case? No, and then here we are. I remember that. I do not. He was like, he was "Hey guys, I just want to clear the air." Yeah, he's like, "I want to clear the air. I am coming back, but these like these news, like these reports coming out about this contract are completely false." Jeez. And then it came out like, "Turns out it was just fully guaranteed, 150 million dollars." Uh, yeah, I remember. Even then, there was some some like like Tom Silverstein, my colleague, was like, "Well, maybe the numbers." Are off, but it's it's not going to be what you think. It's just going to be you know it's going to be you know six of one half dozen of the other, and, and that was correct. What yeah. if the Packers had made that trade that the Seahawks did, and and then I don't know if Drew Locke is then quarterback of the Green Bay Packers or or it's Jordan Love. They, they wanted him reportedly in that draft. He probably would be the quarterback. Yeah. It'd be a competition between him and Love. And then you have Noah Fant as a tight end. You have Shelby Harris. Some draft. Picks. I like I like Shelby Harris. Mm-hmm. Well, he's a Homestead High School kid, so you, what's not to love? Mm-hmm. He's, he's a Johnny, baby. Um, I don't know, man. They'd that... be in a lot better shape in terms of rebuilding. They would get to evaluate Lock and Love. They would be in a good position to probably. They'd have them. a top ten pick from Denver right they would, now. They, would have Actually, a, they, no, would. they wouldn't have Russell, but they'd probably. I think they'd probably be better with Hackett and Rogers together instead of. Probably, get comfortable in that. that's probably true. You're right about that. Oh well, didn't happen. I, I mean, they wouldn't Let's be ride. good this year. They'd be bad this year. But uh, I don't know, man. Uh, they probably there's a ton of moves that they wouldn't have made. You know, like they wouldn't have re-signed Russell Douglas, presumably, or or Devondre Campbell. Like they butterfly effect for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right, uh, Dylan. Oh, already did Dylan Tyson, Ryan Ziegler, Aaron Rodgers likes the idea of being exposed on national TV. I think he needs to expose his soul to the waters of Lake Minnetonka. What do you think he should be exposed to next? <laughs> He's trying to purify himself in the waters of Lake Minnetonka. Charlie Murphy. Um, he should be exposed to um, an actual hard interview at some point. That would be good. Oh yeah. He's yeah. he he's uh he's he's got quite the quite the setup, doesn't he? Where he can just every week go and uh, tell his his side of the story and uh, no worries. The hardest hitting interview he's had so far was pardon my take. <laughs> it was no, when right. he got he got upset about that too. Yeah, he did. He got mad at the grandma joke. How many grandmas do you think you've killed? Um, <laughs> I take that seriously. I should not laugh at that. It's not a it's not a good question to ask. It's a very bad idea. But oh man, they also chickened out after that because uh, the the follow up to that should have been we take it seriously too. That's why we want to know. But they didn't. Right. Uh, okay, you're either a smart fella or a fart smeller. Asks, where is Aaron Rodgers ranked in NFC North quarterbacks currently, and is it third or lower? Related, is his performance so far fixable, or is Rodgers pretty much washed at this point without an Adams to throw to and seemingly unwilling, seeming unwillingness to adjust? In the NFC? Uh... Well, he's behind Kirk. <laughs> that hurts so much to hear out loud. <laughs> that was such, that was such a good delivery on he's behind Kirk. Uh... So, like, what's the point? Who cares about anything else? Like, it's all bad. Yeah, so bad. he's behind Geno Smith, who is the best quarterback in the NFC, because that's how... Oh, say NFC North or just NFC in general? I think it was NFC North. Oh, the North? The okay. I do want to say, though, quick side note. 
awesome. That yeah. offense is so much fun. It to is. Watch. It's so good. It's very, very good. Um, he's not behind Fields yet. He is behind Goff, I think, though. As... See, that's the one. Uh, Goff is not. only good when he doesn't have or when he has time to throw. He's not behind And Goff. I think the yeah. same could be said for Rodgers. Yep, you're right. And he's ahead of him in every metric that matters. So never mind. He is better than Goff. Just barely. Maybe not after next week. Clearly, Joel Osment asks, pretend you are reading a stat line summary for every quarterback in the league, except without player names. Who would you otherwise assume you were looking at when you came across Aaron's line? <laughs> that being said, who is the best current Aaron Rodgers comp? In other words, for $50 million a year, who are we actually paying for? It's Alex Smith. That's who you're paying for. Oh, Ooh. God. Don't tell him that. Oh, wow. My God. That is a dart to the heart of Aaron Rodgers. Well, it's, wow. I, I, it's not even in jest, really. He, his ADOT is super low. He gets the ball extremely quickly. He doesn't generate plays down the field. I, I'm guessing in Football Outsiders, Alex Stat named for Alex Smith, that Aaron Rodgers is ranked quite low slash high. Um, that's who he's turned into. Then that's absolutely who he's most like. He, this is an Alex Smith line if ever there was one. I'm looking through here right now. Give me two seconds, guys. <laughs> I would maybe say, like maybe one of the Steelers quarterbacks. If I'm just looking at a stat line just blindly, um, actually Matt Ryan. If there were time like before the season, would have guessed Matt Ryan. Okay. Um, or Dak Prescott. Eh, not Dak. Eh, I don't know. This is weird. This <laughs> this is really bumming me out. The names I'm saying right you either now. Either die a hero or live long enough to become Alex Smith. A tough scene. Patrick Detmer, uh, who do you believe this team misses more, Devontae Adams or the collective combination of Billy Turner, Lucas Patrick, and Dennis Kelly? Kelly. <laughs> I would love to say the lineman, but Billy Turner's not playing, and Lucas Patrick gets hurt all the time, and Dennis Kelly sucks. It's easily Devontae. It's Devontae. They miss Devontae. Easy. Well, the whole offense was throw to Devontae. Yeah. Yeah. Andrew Merker, have you considered starting a pod on the least disappointing and frustrating Wisconsin team, the Milwaukee Bucks? <laughs> Would enjoy hearing discussion on a team that is actually successful every once in a while. Andrew Merker, thank you for asking that question. The Point Forward podcast with the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel's own Jim Ozarski and yours truly is available on all your podcast platforms. We come out on Tuesdays. If you want to talk Bucks, we are here for you. We will do that for you. It's great. Listen to it. It's also the second week in a row where we've been prompted to advertise a JR podcast by a Patreon person. So nice work. Bring me on to talk the Pacers when they play each other. Cause I need to, I, they make me sad. <laughs> Two words for the Pacers, Victor Wembanyama. If they get Victor Wembanyama, I may actually cry, but this is not an NBA podcast. <laughs> no, uh, they might. They're, they're so bad, but they have contenders for the title of most bad. The but NBA. they have nice pieces. It's again not an NBA podcast. Yeah, the Bucks and the Packers are similar in one way, and that is, <laughs> well, similar in one way, and that the, the regular season just isn't going to do it for people. So, like, if if they if they don't make the playoffs, the Packers are a huge, huge disappointment. But you know, ultimately, it's all it's the playoffs are all that matter. So it's either it's the regular season is either disappointment or it's preamble, you know? Yeah. Um, that's true for the Brewers too. It's a nice place to be in Wisconsin sports, but they're just, they're just on very few consolation prizes left. Uh, and in the case of the NBA, it means you are stuck with six months, five months of just kind of meh basketball because the only thing that matters is what comes at the end. Old man on a bike in Sherlington. Yes. I'm an old, I was waiting I'm for an, this one. I'm an old man on a bike. So I know what it's like to wear questionable clothing in public. 
and can appreciate Rogers' decision to wear Blue's bathrobe to a press conference after a game when he lost one of the worst franchises in sports. What do you think his thought process was when he decided to don such a tire for a press conference? I'm guessing he was hoping people would talk about it instead of any of the actual substantive content. <laughs> that is almost always what I think of Aaron Rodgers' fashion decisions, actually. I'm, I'm thinking he had just listened to the new Taylor Swift album. Oh, I like good that. Good call, good call. I believe, now when did that drop, Taylor Swift? Did that come Friday. out like early Friday morning, right? Maybe that's why. Probably at midnight. Yeah, it was at midnight. Uh, like the, the, all of Twitter during Thursday Night Football was, oh, everybody stayed up till midnight to get the Taylor Swift, that Swift album. All so. right. Uh, I apologize for not being aware. I was on an airplane at that moment yep. and flying into a different time zone. So it was a little out of sorts there, but uh, midnight makes sense for, for the album title and all that. I haven't listened to it yet, but she made, she's made good music lately. Keith Keskinen. Keith Keskinen asks, would the Packers be in better position for their future if Jordan Love was the quarterback this season rather than Rodgers? Same record results, stats, etc. cetera. Uh, signed forever hopeful Jordan Love truther or maybe liar. Or forever hopeful Jordan Love truther, or maybe liar. Financially, yes. And long-term, yes, because the rebuild starts. Yeah, and even if nothing else changes, even if finances are the same, you at least get to look at a guy who might be on the team in the future instead of a guy who won't be on the team in the future. So, yeah, it's helpful. It's hard to – I feel like it's really hard to to evaluate what the the sort of shockwaves would be if they decided – just simply not to re-sign Aaron Rodgers. I mean, it seems like, you know, for one thing, you're you're basically acknowledging 2022 isn't going to happen, which is a really dangerous thing to do in Packers country. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's just such an impossible sell. I mean, you set yourself up to be the villain, much like Ted Thompson was, and he worked through that. It worked out. But, like, you don't know who your quarterback is, who your next great quarterback is at that point. So that the risk is so high. I, I don't even know if we can forecast <laughs> – what it would have looked like if they had made what seems to be right now the correct decision. I think if Love was better, then they might have actually thought about it. But they yeah. know they know he's not, so they knew they couldn't do it. Man, rocking a hard place. Uh, Jason Albert, if you were the Packers front office, what were the three moves you would make right? What are the three moves that you would make right now? And what are the reasons the Packers won't make them? I've, I've already got one we talked about. Trade for Matt Ioannidis. Yep. I would sign free agents. Daryl Williams, who is an offensive lineman for the Bills, that's been somewhat solid, plays kind of played right tackle for the Carolina Panthers, if I recall correctly. Third one, I would trade for a receiver, but it's got to be a cheap one. It's going to have to be like Elijah Moore or Chase Claypool. And I'm not going to feel Claypool, maybe if I, but they just, they're asking for too much right now. Yeah, they are. Um, I'll take Kendrick Bourne instead of those two. Um, That's a good one. And uh, otherwise, yes, a run-stopping defensive lineman and a a competent offensive lineman would be on high in my list as well. So yes, bring me those people. All right, Tim Brown, how do you react to the eval- to th- this evaluation of Rogers? Oh no, and, it's a Twitter link. Well, <laughs> yeah, is, is that a, is that a link to today's? Uh, today's conversation with it's Pat the, Mac. It's definitely the Tom Clements thing. Yep, it is. So we've reacted to it plenty. You know how we react to it. 
Oh, yeah. Okay. Joe Cool says, in my opinion, the best replacement for Amari at punt returner is Jones or Jair, but people argue that it's not worth risking an injury. I agree that injuries occur more frequently during returns, but from everything I've seen, isn't it more dangerous for blockers and tacklers? What do you think? Who would you have returning punts besides the obvious, just someone to catch the ball without fumbling? I'll do Romeo. That's who I want. Um, he did it in college. He returned... 37 punts in college. He averaged 12.5 yards per punt return. Uh, he, he has experience doing it. He's going to be in the doghouse. Make him do it. Yeah, I was going to say, and his value as a receiver is dropping. I mean, that sounds callous, but like sacrificial lamb season? I don't know. I, I don't I don't necessarily agree that the returner is less prone to injury than, the, than everybody else. I mean, I'd be very curious. Play. I'd be very curious to see a healthy Christian Watson do it just because he damn fast yep me too when's kylan hill gonna be back that's not a punt returner but when be nice to to see him get back to He's back at practice right he is oh i didn't hear that actually so. so soon okay he's probably a couple weeks away sweet okay and he's on the pup list right he's not on injured reserve so uh okay cool uh tom hates is taking the bills minus whatever the easiest bet of the season what's wrong with romeo dobbs it seems like he's been dropping everything thrown to him. We've talked about Dobbs at, at length, but uh... I thought I thought Patriots over Bears was going to be the easiest one ever. <laughs> and, uh, so don't don't bet. Just don't. I I gave up actually putting money on games a I, year ago. I don't put money on games basically ever, and I agree with that because the NFL is super unpredictable. So, in theory, yes, it's very easy money, but you know things happen, wacky stuff every week. I have never played against the spread, even in, I mean, with certainly with real money, but even with fantasy sports or fake money until this year. So, um, so I signed up for it. a friend, friend got me signed up for it. And the first week I got, I got 13 of 16 incorrect. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm obviously very bad, but it's, it's, it's like impossible shit. I don't know why anyone does that. That's nuts. Um, in the NFL, just don't do it. All right, we we have one Twitter question because we had so many Patreon questions. We have to keep it keep it limited here. But Zach Butcher on Twitter, not saying they will, but considering he's a potential cap casualty at the end of the season anyway, if you were GM, would you trade Aaron Jones and stock up on draft capital? They might be selling next week. It's at least possible if they get destroyed by the Bills, they still have time to make that. And I would because, uh, first of all, I'm not sure you can trade Aaron Jones, um, but. I would definitely try to because his cap hits going forward are punitive. They are not great. And he's not going to get more valuable than he is right now. And if you can get any kind of draft pick for him, you should. That that one hurts to hear, man. I know that he's a running back and I know that that value is limited, especially if a rebuild happens, but like ultimate good guy in the locker room, very respectful to everyone and just such a fun player. And like, he's one of those guys, even when I'm older, I'm going to like remember very fondly, very fun player. I love Aaron Jones. I was his biggest supporter when they drafted him. I love that draft pick so much. He's been awesome, but he's probably not going to be on the next good Packer team. Uh, it's yep. just age works against you there. Well, that's the thing. Ha- I feel like he's having his best year this year too. And they're just yep. not getting the ball enough. The thing is like, I don't think Elton Jenkins is going to be on the next good Packers team. Like, <laughs> he if, might it's not. Truly, if it's truly two to three years here, they're not going to be able to sign these guys with the contract, you know, with, with Rogers contract situation. So I don't know. Is Kenny Clark on the next good Packers team? I think he probably is, but is Rashawn Gary. I don't think Rashawn <laughs> Gary is right. Like are, are any of these guys on the next good Packers team? 
it's uh it's a little a little alarming to be to be staring into this deep of an abyss that's you know even even like in even like i said even in like 2016 there were still tendrils of hope and in 2018 they were getting a new coach and you know what what is matt lafleur the coach of the next good packers team? <laughs> oh my gosh that's i a, just had a do you remember back in the days when aaron Rodgers would be in the red zone and just sit in the pocket for like 10 seconds yeah and no one would touch him i do i miss those days <laughs> yeah the line play has definitely regressed over the last what is it five years as he's i mean it's been a doomsday scenario i think the box diari thing has just changed everything and then elton going down changed everything that's been bad it has been bad that's all for questions guys we're wrapped we're done so before we get what a sad note to end on yeah, yeah. uh if any first of all um if anybody has made it this far um i the mini pod I've already recorded because I'm going to be at a convention the rest of the week and I have no time to record it. So Ooh. I will tell you, it is unusually positive in terms of what might happen in the Bills game. It's probably wrong, but uh, usually during the mini pod, we look at how the Packers could conceivably lose to the opponents. There's no point in doing that this week, so we flipped it. How the Packers could conceivably beat the Bills in great detail with lots of stats and cool stuff to back it up. So check that out. And before we get out of here... Um, First of all, Tyler, anything to plug other than your book, of course? Brooke wrote a book, JR, special. Um, I am very proud of the article that came out today. With I, I, I know the headline is people are not reading the whole article, but Aaron Rodgers <laughs> is holding the Packers hostage. Please read it. I'm okay if you disagree with me. Let's have some like conversation about it. And uh, full disclosure, he's not the only reason they are stinking. But I think the points that are brought up in that, thanks to Paul, uh, we had a good conversation today about this. Um, I think it really kind of hit, hits the nail on the head of why this is the problem. Yep. hundred percent agree with that. It's a, uh, it's just rough. He really, he makes it hard to move on and to play this year. That's the real, exactly. that's the bad thing about it. He, he extends the the window of badness. Maybe it'll end up being a good thing. Maybe they'll super tank and get the next quarterback, but ugh. Caleb Williams, let's go. Yep. All right. And <laughs> JR, you got anything? No, Wisconsin teams need to be done craving Caleb Williams. It did not work out well <laughs> on the college level. Well done. Uh, well done. Yep. <laughs> um, so, so speaking a little bit of the Badgers, I, uh, truthfully, as I say this, I'm not positive it's going to see the light of day, but I think it will. Uh, there was a, a just an egregious call in that Badgers game, and and I went ahead and looked at some of the uh, the more memorable officiating blunders in Wisconsin sports history. There's a lot of Packers representation there. There's lots of Badgers, some try to get some brewers and bucks in there as well. Uh, so that might be at jsonline.com, uh, maybe sometime Wednesday or, or possibly Thursday, but some sometime this week, if, uh, if it does in fact get finished. Uh, but other than that, uh, we, we got a new content management system at, at the journal Sentinel and it is, is bad for us. I mean, it is, um, you know, it's, it's, it, it's more about just change, making everything wreaking havoc than it is about the system itself. But there are some things that are going to require getting used to. And, uh, Oh boy. Um, and also I would encourage people to get our daily briefing newsletter every morning. That's not sports related or Packers related or anything, but, uh, I am the author of the Friday morning journal Sentinel daily briefing newsletter that comes right to your inbox at 6am every morning. We talk about all kinds of stuff, all the stories that we're writing that we we've, we've just written or that we wrote yesterday. Um, and uh, sometimes sports comes up, try to have some fun with it. And uh, my colleagues, Sophie Carson and Bill Glauber handled it the other four days of the week. They're, they're, they're all, uh, you know, written by writers during the weekdays. So so uh, check that out. Subscribe to it. It would really help me out. And it's fun. Cool. I'm going to do that. I did not know about that. And I'm a subscriber. So that's sweet. All right. Um, I was on As Goes Wisconsin with 
Kristen Bree earlier this week. Go check that out. Um, I also have my Shepherd Express column coming up tomorrow, and uh, I'm going to be at a convention, but I will eke out an Acme Packing Company post at some point. I think I'm going to write on um, their third down struggles. I started compiling numbers for that today, and essentially the Packers pass way too much on third and fourth down. Um, they are very bad at it. Their EPAs last year were... About 50-50 on third down plays. Uh, they're about 50% positive, 50% negative on passing plays. Um, this year, they only have one game where they had a positive EPA on third down. It was the Bears game. Every other one, they're like negative huge. So um, that is something that dooms you because it's third down, but also can regress. So we'll see if we can figure out something good there too. But that'll do it for us. Um, check out the mini pod on Friday. Uh, if you would like to join the Patreon, you might get free coffee. And uh, we'll be back next week to wrap up whatever kind of water this ends up. Oh, 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 oh.